Welcome to the Provident Podcast. Provident Expresso is dedicated to providing investment insights to clients on the go. Through these podcasts, clients are brought up to date as our team of investment specialists share the outlook of the market, offer perspective of events and trends affecting the economy, the financial markets and our investment management. We invite you to listen in or download July's podcast as Daryl, Providence Chief Investment Strategist shares the latest outlook of the market and how it affects your portfolios. Welcome to the next edition of Providence, uh, Providence Expresso. Um, well, all, all of us here at Providence are now recovering from uh, our latest uh, third quarter retreat uh, at Santosa uh, just yesterday. Um, and that's where uh, Serene and Sherry were actually torturing us with various uh, various games. So all of us are suffering some form of aches and pains uh, today. But anyway, it was all good fun. Uh, time for us us to get together as a company, uh, to, to bond together, to have fun, um, as well as just to get an update about what has happened over the last quarter and what kind of plans we have for all of you uh, and for us as well uh, in the quarter ahead. Anyway... Um, let's let's get on to business now. In, in this July's podcast, uh, essentially we I'll be covering uh, four main items. Uh, firstly, providing everybody an update on uh, the green shoots. You know where we stand uh, in this regard. Secondly, talking a bit about the various government action that we are seeing around the world today, um, and what what are the implications of that. Uh, thirdly, talking about one of the fundamental shifts that we are currently seeing uh, in the marketplace. Uh, essentially, this, this shift is on regarding uh, Asian countries moving away from the export-driven model. Uh, and finally, I'll just provide a wrap-up as well as uh, talking a bit about what, how we think markets will behave in the next three to six months, as well as how we are positioning our portfolios, particularly the alpha portfolio. Okay, without further ado, let me start with the first point, uh, updates on green shoots. Uh, as as you know, no doubt will know uh, from previous editions, uh, we are essentially monitoring a couple of key indicators, one of which is uh, essentially uh, the state of the U.S. consumer. Uh, and in this regard, really the jobs report uh, that is due out actually just uh, later tonight uh, will be key. Uh, we expect that the next jobs report uh, will indicate that unemployment in the U.S. will come close to hitting the 10% level. Um, and in this regard, you know, the situation doesn't look like it's bottoming out yet uh, in, 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 in this area. Besides that, we also have seen, uh, based on the latest data, that the savings rate in, in the U.S. has now hit a 15-year high. Americans are now saving about 6.9% um, of their personal income. Uh, again, it's a sign here that you know, they're doing what is necessary uh, to actually pare down their leverage levels, uh, pare down their debt, so much so that, um, that consumption is being sacrificed at this point in time. Now, they're actually facing an uphill battle uh, despite their higher savings rate because, amazingly enough, the household leverage in the U.S. has actually uh, increased over the past year. It's now hit uh, 1.5 times. Uh, and that's mainly because uh, the assets, asset prices have fallen more than uh, the reduction in the debt levels uh, among American consumers. So because of that, while, while they have been trying their best to repay their debt, uh, they their debt levels have actually, on a on a proportion basis, have actually increased. You know, so again, this suggests that uh, this deleveraging process will still have a couple more years to go before it it, it, it gets paid off. Um, also associated with this, we just noticed that the latest uh, retail sales numbers, this is the chain store numbers coming up from the U.S., has actually fallen 4.4 percent in the four uh, in the first four weeks of June. Again, it's a sign there that you know American consumers are cutting back. 
are a bit concerned about the broader economic outlook uh, and they are making adjustments to their spending patterns. So again, we don't expect a pickup here in consumption anytime soon. On the, on the second item uh, that we are looking at regarding the consumer side, uh, the housing market still appears uh, that is uh, that still appears to be deteriorating. Uh, the latest Case-Shiller uh, index, this is the 20-city uh, price index in the U.S., uh, actually just came out a couple of days ago and it indicated that prices have actually fallen by 18.1% on a year-on-year basis in April. Um, a sign here that the housing market, uh, at least the prices of housing in the U.S. is still falling, but at a slower pace than before. So we are closer, closer to bottoming out, but still not there yet. Um, besides that, the new home sales numbers, again from the U.S., are still depressed. Um, basically, what, what's happening is that inventory levels of housing in the U.S. is still quite high. Uh, the company is standing at about 10.2 months, at least based on the May sales numbers. Um, and just to give you a, some basis of comparison, uh, back when the housing market was still in, in pretty good shape, uh, inventory levels were as low as like two or three months. You know, um, And again, as a basis of comparison, a new home now typically takes over 11 months to sell uh, once it's completed as opposed to, you know, about a year or two ago uh, when a new home only took three months to sell off. You know, so again, it's a sign there that uh, the housing market in the U.S. is still a bit sluggish, hasn't really bottomed out. While there's, there are definitely opportunities and bargains to be had, uh, things aren't moving as quickly as people would like. And uh, I guess one of the main reasons there is that the, the economic outlook isn't looking that good. So that's actually, that's on the, the first area, the first uh, aspect on, on the green shoots. Um, the data that's coming out still suggests to us um, that you know it's still a bit premature to be calling a bottom in the economy. Uh, it still will take a while for things to settle down a bit more for before the data actually bottoms out, uh, and then hopefully we will see an improvement uh, end of this year, early next year. Now moving on to the second area on uh, government action. Now one of one of the areas that we are quite concerned about as well is the possible implications or repercussions of all the government action that we've been seeing around the world. Um, we've talked a, a, about this at length already regarding the quantitative easing strategies of uh, the various uh, governments, you know, the fact that the pumping money, the, the, the sheer printing of money that goes into the system is going to have some, uh, some negative implications down the road. Uh, for example, the debt outlook could be downgraded, uh, bond yields will go up, which means to say that uh, asset prices will be affected. You know, and people will pull money out from their respective currencies as well. Uh, but besides that, another buzzword that has been going around uh, the the government sector is really these issues of this issue of regulatory reforms. Um, really, governments all across the world, led by the U.S. and Europe, are now focusing for focusing on increasing regulations to stem uh, the problems which led to the crisis. And the financial sector is the one which is uh, receiving the most attention. You know, um, so in, in this regard. Uh, we are seeing, or we've heard, a couple of uh, indications already from the Obama side, uh, the, the so-called Obama reforms, one of which was uh, it was essentially to, to put the Fed, Federal Reserve in charge um, of institutions to make sure that no institution grows too big to fail. Um, actually, this is not really a, a major change because, in effect, um, the Fed and the various government agencies have already been uh, been performing this role to some extent. It's just that right now what we are, what, what we are seeing is that uh, we we're seeing a formalization of the of what has been done, you know, in a sense. Um, so effectively, this is this is one move that has that's, that's been passed. Um, we think that there could be some potential 
uh, issues of moral hazards, you know, the fact that um, there is an incentive for institutions to grow, to want to grow too big, you know, so much so that the, the governments will try to step in to prevent them from failing. You know, so that, that's one potential repercussion. And also, obviously, a question there will be, you know, how do you actually prevent these companies from going too big? So again, there's a lot of, dev- the devil is in the details, how they actually will implement it. But this is one move in that particular direction. Besides that, there are a couple of other regulatory reforms that uh, that the U.S. is coming up with or are uh, proposing. One of which is actually to set up a consumer protection agency uh, to protect uh, consumers um, with regard to uh, financial products. Um, again, from a policy standpoint, this is definitely a good move. Um, basically, this is uh, coming up with various guidelines for the financial uh, institutions with regard to uh, financial products. You know what you can do, what you can't do. Whether the product that that has been that that's come out that's being launched is actually good for the consumer. Um, as I said, this is positive from the consumer standpoint. Um, However, from the financial institution standpoint, it may not be so good because obviously this is limiting the various opportunities open to the institution. They need to actually go to this watchdog to get approval before they come up with the new product. And also all these uh, higher, greater regulations will come at a certain cost, meaning to say that the financial products that do hit the marketplace could then uh, be delivering uh, lower returns you know, because you do have to pay for all these uh, regulatory uh, um, safeguards. So that's one, one, one of the poten- potential downsides to, to increasing regulation. Uh, also, another, another potential downside would be the, the limitation of opportunities you know, because less of these opportunities will, will hit the market. Um, and again, it also depends on how, how this uh, financial product safety agency will, will implement these policies. If they become overzealous in their, in their implementation, uh, they could, it could mean that no new products come out at all, you know, and then we don't really see growth in that particular industry. Again, as I said, the devil in the details, um, really time will tell whether or not these policies will be, uh, will be, on, will be positive or not. Okay, moving on to the third issue now. Uh, this is essentially talking a bit about uh, this fundamental shift that we are seeing in the marketplace, uh, namely that Asian countries appear to be moving away from the export-driven model. Um, just to give some background again, uh, I think we all realize that one of the main growth drivers or the strategies of a lot of emerging market and developing countries have been you know, uh, based on exports, meaning to say that your lower labor costs, you attract uh, foreign direct investments, you produce goods, and you, you send it and you export it, export it to, to the Western countries uh, who, who then use your goods. Um, and this is something that has worked very well for uh, a number of uh, the Asian tiger countries, um, like Singapore, like Korea, like Taiwan, uh, Japan as well in the initial years. So essentially, that has been the the model of a lot of uh, Asian countries. But one of the repercussions of this uh, export-driven model is that really Asia is currently at the back and call of the Western consumer, meaning to say that if if we have a consumer-led recession like like what we are witnessing today, uh, effectively you don't really have a ready market to actually continue to buy your exports anymore. 
and that's one of the reasons why uh, the slowdown in the West has really affected Asia uh, tremendously. Uh, meaning to say, a lot of factories here in Asia have had has have had to force to shut um, or, or lay off people, mainly because uh, there really isn't that end demand for their products anymore. So because of this, I think Asian governments are getting a lot more uh, savvy about it. They're starting to think about how they can actually diversify their revenue streams, um, their growth drivers, and this is this is something that. Um, I heard firsthand as well at a recent seminar that I attended uh, by the president of the Asian Development Bank, uh, Mr. Karuda-san. And he basically reinforced this view here that Asian countries are aware of this fact, you know, that, that they need to diversify away um, from being uh, at the back and call of, of uh, Western consumers. And they are starting to think about what other growth drivers they can actually help develop. And one of, one of the things that actually came up uh, is the fact that they need to basically try to boost local and regional consumption. Because only then would, this, uh, would Asia be able to stand on its own feet. The fact that your, your local population, uh, the, the amount of money that they spend on goods and services is actually enough to sustain your own businesses within the country or within the region. You know? So this is something that Asia, Asian governments realize. The problem here is obviously how to... Uh, implement this over the long term because we are talking about actually a fundamental shift in behavior of Asian consumers. You're trying to get your consumers to spend more money. Um, and this is something that will obviously take quite a while to achieve. Now, how how does one go about getting your, your people to actually spend more money? Obviously, you need to spend prudently. But one of the main issues and problems that have been holding back consumption uh, is that if you look at the situation here in Asia, Asians are net savers. They save a lot of their money. Um, which means to say that they don't actually spend, don't have, don't have so, that much free cash to spend. Um, and one of the main problems why uh, savings rate in Asia as, as a whole is quite high is because you don't have that safety nets and the infrastructure development uh, in a number of Asian countries. Um, when I say this, I basically mean things like your pension systems, things like your healthcare systems. Um, because effectively, a lot of Asian countries or a lot of Asians, um, the population, they have to basically save for themselves in the event that, let's say, they uh, they lose their jobs or, you know, if they fall sick, they need to have their own reserves, uh, the cash reserves to actually tie them through those difficult times. Now, think about it in the... This is actually very different compared to the West. When you look at the Western countries, they effectively have all these social safety nets in place. Um, they have things like unemployment insurance. They've got things like healthcare. Um, so if they, they lose their jobs, if they fall sick, you know, there's a form of safe, social safety net to actually uh, protect them in a sense. And because they, they know that they have this safety net in place, or the infrastructure in place, they can actually go about spending their excess money quite safely. Um, and this is something that I think Asian governments are now trying to, to establish, develop the various infrastructure that is necessary to, to grow that area. So I think what, what, we, are, what we will see in the years ahead is that we will see the development of pension systems, of healthcare systems, of even the financial systems as well. Because when you think about it, one of the main reasons why a lot of uh, Asian sovereign wealth funds, for example, are investing in US treasuries and European bonds is because you don't really have a very liquid local uh, currency bond market here in Asia. Now, if the Asian bond markets are, are very deep and, and broad, uh, then effectively you'll find that uh, these pension funds, insurance companies even, uh, investment companies will have a lot more more opportunities to actually invest in the local markets rather than the the, the Western markets. 
And again, this uh, I mean, we've seen some of this news in the papers recently as well. Uh, in Singapore here, you know, you can now buy uh, Singapore government bonds or, or via the ATM. Um, in in China, even uh, China is starting to open up uh, a bit. You can actually buy renminbi denominated bonds in Hong Kong. Um, so essentially, we are starting to see. Uh, signs of this, these financial markets becoming a bit more open. Um, and again, this is, in the grand scheme of things, moving towards uh, making, making consumption a bit, um, a bit better for, for Asian consumers. So we definitely see this structural shift as something that is happening. Uh, it started to occur already. However, we do recognize that it will take quite a number of years to actually com- be completed because it's not easy to change uh, individuals' uh, buying or spending habits uh, overnight. You know, um, so but then again, we have we've we've just started and in, initiated research on this topic uh, because we do see this as a structural shift um, that will have have some bearing on how we position our portfolios and how asset prices will behave in the years ahead. Because if you put ourselves fifteen twenty years uh, down the road, if the if and when um, the Asian consumers are strong enough to stand on its own two feet. Um, we will see that international trade will look very different. Uh, the the global growth drivers will be more pro Asia, uh, more dependent on Asian consumers and less dependent on let's say U U S and European consumers. So we do see a, a number of fundamental shifts, and we have started our research, and we will update you all, uh, all our all our clients once we have completed our research and our findings. So this is something that I think is quite key, which we are which we are looking at. Finally, let me just talk a bit about uh, our outlook in terms of the markets as well as uh, what we are planning to do for regarding the portfolios. Um, if you look at the situation now, um, equity markets have rallied about 40, 50, in some cases 60% over the past three months since the, since the lows in uh, early March. Uh, we definitely see the markets looking a bit tired at this point in time. Uh, it does appear also that technical indicators or technical factors have um, have been predominant rather than fundamental uh, factors, which means to say that actually in our view, um, a, a number of markets are actually looking a bit expensive from a fundamental standpoint. Um, investors have get have been getting a bit over exuberant, have been piling into the marketplace um, in equities and in various assets like property, for example, and prices have gone up just a bit too much in too short a span of time. So. With, with that as a backdrop, and with our view also that, that the structural downturn uh, will take a while before it, it, it turns around, uh, we do feel that there's a risk for short-term correction in, in stock markets. Um, obviously, the, the jury is still out. If and when this uh, correction happens, how much the markets might fall. Uh, we just recently had an investment committee meeting. Um, and the findings at that particular meeting, um, or at least the, we didn't really receive uh, reach a consensus at the meeting in the sense that some people... or Everybody thought that the markets will fall, but the, we were de- divided as to how much markets might fall by. Uh, my own personal view is that I think markets might fall between 5 to 15% um, in the next three, three months or so. Uh, but some of the more bearish members of the committee uh, believe that it's possible that we might retrace the previous lows in March, which means to say that markets might fall about 40-50% 40, 40, from the current levels. 
Um, my main reason why I think that that particular scenario is unlikely at this point in time is mainly because when you look at the situation, there's still a number of investors who are sitting on the sidelines uh, in, in cash. And there's been quite a bit of, there's still quite a lot of liquidity in the marketplace. Um, so because of that, my sense is that if markets do fall, let's say by 5, 10, 15%, it's likely that investors will come back into the market uh, to, to snap up uh, stocks because prices have come down. Um, so because of the fund flows perspective, I do, do expect that any, any declines will be supported to a certain extent. Um, though, obviously all bets are off if we receive another big market dislocation event. You know? um, and they, they, there are a number of risks out there in the marketplace uh, to, still today. Uh, meaning to say, if you, you find another bank, for example, uh, facing difficulties, or if Eastern Europe uh, blows up, or if the bond market blows up, um, then if effectively all bets are off and it's possible that we will not only hit, uh, reach the, the lows of early March, but we possibly might fall even below that again. You know, so that basically is, is our view, the short-term view. Um, however, again, uh, for, for long-term investors, we think that it's, it's, not, it's not something to, to overly worry you because effectively, even at, at the current prices, it's not exactly expensive, expensive. Um, so because of that, we are actually looking at maintaining our allocations in our beta portfolios. Um, so effectively, from a portfolio positioning standpoint, um, because our beta investors are long-term investors with at least a 10-year investment time frame, we are not planning to make any asset allocation changes to those portfolios. In fact, what we will likely be doing is that we'll be making... Um, uh, We'll be making use of the cash, the remaining cash in the portfolios uh, in the next couple of weeks. We are right now still fine-tuning the funds that we'll be using, uh, but it's likely that by the end of July, we'll be fully invested from the beta for the beta portfolios. Uh, for the alpha portfolios, we are planning to make certain changes, and it's probably you, you would have heard about the changes even before you receive uh, this particular, you hear this particular podcast. And in that regard, what we are doing is that we are actually taking, uh, taking profits, uh, reducing our our risky allocations. Uh, in this case, we're actually reducing our equity exposure um, by 10% uh, into cash, and we're also reducing or eliminating our commodity exposure. Uh, the rationale for this is basically what I've said before already, that the fact that markets have run out a bit too much too soon, uh, we expect a pullback. So one one of the moves here is basically to reduce the risk in our, in our portfolios. And in this case, uh, it means reducing the equity exposures and also the commodity market, uh, com- commodity exposures. Uh, commodities have basically run up as much as uh, equity prices over the last couple of months, and I think that it's looking a bit frothy as well. A lot of speculative money has gone into the commodity markets, um, and which, which means that it's uh, quite, quite possible that we'll see a correction there as well. So just to sum up, um, effectively our view is still the same as opposed to compared to a couple of months ago. Um, we still believe that the green is still a bit premature to be calling green shoots. Um, we still think that the markets, uh, the global economy will, will bottom out by the end of this year. Um, but the recovery that comes next year or, or end of this year will pro- probably be a bit more muted um, based on this norm, new normal that we talked about previously. Um, and this is quite different from what the equity market investors are currently pricing in. Uh, and this is the reason why we think that it could be some short-term weakness. Uh, but again, that's not something that uh, our long-term investors should be worried about. Um, for long-term investors, really, um, I think we, we, we are confident that in 10 years' time, uh, asset prices will be a lot higher than where they currently stand today. Yeah. 
So thank you, thank you for listening for this to this uh, July podcast edition, and uh, hope you can listen in again next month. <laughs>